Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are not going to be in our Deuteronomy place this morning because why? Why are we not reading from Deuteronomy where we've been hanging out? Because it is Sukkot. It is Chol Hamoed Sukkot, right? On Yantif, there's a certain reading. On Chol Hamoed, meaning the days in between Yantif, there is a different reading. There is always a Shabbat on Sukkot, because Sukkot is long enough to always have a Shabbat in it. Um, so if Shabbat is not Yantif, then we always read the reading for Chol Hamoed Sukkot, as I mentioned during my talk at the High Holidays. So we, that means, are at Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. So um, this is Sukkot, the festival. What is a festival in Hebrew? Chag. Chag. This is also, of course, uh, in Islam, where you get the word Hajj. Right? Chag, Hajj, same thing. It is a pilgrimage, right? So this is one of our pilgrimage festivals where people would have had to make their way to Yerushalayim, to Jerusalem, uh, in order to bring from their fall harvest, yes? To share of their fall harvest with the temple and the priesthood and the Levites. Um, because every time we harvest, of course, we give, we give out of that harvest. So Sukkot... Uh, is one of our chagim. For each chag, it has kind of a, a way that it's talked about. And Sukkot is talked about as um, zman simchatenu, the time of our rejoicing. So the commandment in Torah, v'samachta bechagecha v'hayita ach sameach. Just in case there's not enough chetz in there for you. <laughs> You shall rejoice in your festival, on your festival, and you will be only happy, only joyful. So we are commanded to rejoice at Sukkot. Um, many, many, many scholars believe that the original link was not between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, right? Rosh Hashanah is, and there's this day, and you're going to blow a horn on that day. So what? It's not Rosh Hashanah in the Torah, right? How do we know that? How do we know it's not Rosh Hashanah? It's not the head of the year? Because the first month of the year is Nisan. Because it says, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you will have a Yom Truah, a day of blowing this horn. Well, if it's the seventh month, it's obviously not the beginning of the year, right? So it is a different calendar that won out eventually to put our new year in the fall. But originally, if it says in the seventh month, Yom Truah, you're going to have this day of... okay. Maybe because that's the month during which you're going to have Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Right, here, here's the big month. Da -da -da. Fine, but that's all it says in Torah. That's it. Rosh Hashanah, pff. Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year since biblical times. Probably so that when the festival of Sukkot came, everything was cleaned up. All of your relationships were repaired. Your relationship with God was repaired. The people could feel like they had been forgiven. The slate was wiped clean. So let's go into Sukkot and have a party that you can only have once you really feel like you've been forgiven everything from the past year. This is the harvest. The fall harvest is the harvest that staves off starvation for your family. Nothing grows in the winter. Right? In Israel, you don't harvest stuff in the winter. We live in California. You know, so we have food all year. But really, in the ancient world, the fall harvest was what carried your family through the winter. So it was a seriously big party. Right? Because if the crop came in, your family wasn't going to starve. Yay. Um, 
So the celebration of Sukkot was wild. The Bible tells us crazy stuff happened uh, at Sukkot. The priests took their old underwear, their linen breeches, and they made torches out of them, and they would juggle the torches, and the Levitical, like... (laughs) Band would play, and they even went to the women's section. That is how crazy it got at Sukkot. They even went to the women's section. Why did the underwear juggling stop? (laughs) Once the priesthood stopped, we got, yeah, right? We got, we lost the whole underwear burning part. That's exactly right. That is the minhag of the rabbis. God forbid it can't be on Yontif. Um, so, right, as soon as Yontif is over, the first act that we're supposed to do is to begin building the sukkah to show our eagerness, right, to, to do a mitzvah, and that the whole thing after Yom Kippur, your whole year, should start with a mitzvah. And so it's become minhag, it's become tradition to start building the sukkah immediately after breakfast. Is, is there anything that mentions anywhere that uh, Rosh Hashanah is a preparation for the solemnity of Yom Kippur? Nope. Because if you had Yom Kippur without the beginning of the new year, it would be pretty hard, I think, dramatic. This way, you know, it's it's coming. The one. Yeah. yeah, you're... you're no, it because it wasn't the new year. Rosh, you know, Rosh Hashanah wasn't Rosh Hashanah. It was Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the seventh month, was just Rosh Chodesh of the month that was going to contain Yom Kippur and Sukkot. So I think the solemnity of Yom Kippur, what got you through that, like you said, it could be kind of hard without Rosh Hashanah because that's what we're used to, but you knew Sukkot was coming. Right, Yom Kippur, you did all this. Well, they didn't do that, but because that's later. But um, but that whole sense of you know I, I've messed up and I've screwed up and whatever, 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 was to get you ready for the party, for Sukkot, for the harvest. Exactly, Reuben. Uh, I guess I missed the part about why we're here this morning. Because this is the reading that the rabbis assigned to the Shabbat of Sukkot. So it's just what they assigned. So for every holiday, the Shabbat of a week-long festival, there's always a Shabbat there. And if it's not Yuntif, then that Shabbat of that festival has a special Torah reading, not the regular lectionary. Because next week, next week is uh, Simchas Torah. So we will actually end Deuteronomy and begin Genesis the same at the same time, right? Because we are never, God forbid, done, God forbid a million times, reading Torah, right? We're always in the process of reading Torah. We finish the last line of Deuteronomy and immediately begin the first line of Genesis on Simchat Torah. So we'll begin our, our lectionary again. We'll begin the reading of um, Torah again, and we'll be in the second third of every Parsha. Right This year we've read the first third of every parsha to stay on the Jewish world's schedule. We'll read the second middle chunk of every parsha this year. Okay. Sukkot. This festival holiday, we build a sukkah. Why? Why do we have a sukkah? It has to do with the harvest. It has to do with the harvest. What did they need a sukkah for? Doesn't it say in the Torah you shall dwell in booths? It does. Why? There's so much commentary on that. That's a big... That's a huge why. That's a, That's a huge, huge why. why. Too, too broad. So if it was the harvest, why might you need a sukkah at harvest time? Because you don't want to spend your energy going back and forth. So you want to stand in the And it could be hot, right? And you're schlepping, right? So... These Sukkot were probably there in Canaan as a custom at the fall harvest to give some shade, to give some protection as a place to hang out, 
in between, right? So the sukkah was probably already in Canaan as a practice at the fall harvest. What are the Israelites going to do with every single Canaanite agricultural tradition? Make it their own. They're going to reconstruct all of the Canaanite religious rituals and make it their own, make it Israelite. So the sukkah now becomes a symbol of what? If you're going to make it Israelite, what is it now a symbol of? The exodus. The exodus. Living in the wilderness, right? You will make that, you will cause them to dwell in booths. They dwelt in booths in the Midbar, in the wilderness. So this God remembering a time of closeness and proximity and intimacy with Israel in the Midbar that doesn't happen once they're in the land and celebrating their harvest festivals, right? That's gone. That sense of, of intimacy and immediacy of relationship is gone. When God fed us, right, God is wistful at this harvest festival. They have all their crops now. They don't need me. God remembers a time when I fed you, mana, right? You depended only on me. And so we get this lovely, for me, this lovely metaphor of God longing for a time when we were closer. You know, the monks at Santa Catarina uh, raised their crops nearby in the body, and they also they live in these uh, Sukkot today. Yep, right? So probably a very, very, very old tradition of living in... Of course, but that was the barley harvest. That's the barley harvest in the summer. Shavuot. No, it was the threshing floor. She was under his cape. Just saying. So. Um, <laughs> So this amazing um, imagery of being moving out of our permanent houses, being under the stars, under right, more intimate with God at this time of harvest, and a reminder, of course, from the tradition, don't think you did this. All this wonderfulness that you're harvesting now, don't think you did that, Israelites, West L.A. people, right? You didn't do this. I bring the rain, I bring the wind, I make the crops, right, happen or not, says God. It's a beautiful imagery. We are to take the four species. Where's, where's our lulav? We need our lulav. Um, we are to take the lulav, right, the date palm, and we are to take the willow and the myrtle and the citron, and we are to hold them together because all it says in Torah is take them. So the minute, um, the minute you take those four species together, you have fulfilled the commandment in Torah. So the lulav becomes not just the date palm, but the symbol for the whole, the word for the whole bouquet, right? So you take your lulav doesn't mean just the big one; it means the whole thing. Um, and then the practice has become to write to shake it in every direction, indicating that God, of course, is everywhere. And we don't get any reason for this by the way, in Torah. You take these four species, so that's all we're told. Okay. So why these four, right? As Pam would tell us, that's a big why, right? Lots of um, midrash on why these four or why four. Um, but some of my favorites are about um, different, that the rabbis have come up with, hi Linda, is um, different kinds of Jews. And they go through this very long teaching in the Talmud about what kind of Jews each one of those species represents and we're to bring them together. That we should find a way to sit together and be together as Jews even in our differences. Kalal Yisrael becomes a value, right? A spiritual value. And um, for me, it's also about the disparate parts of ourselves. Kind of like the tzitziot on the talit, right? We bring together all those disparate parts of ourselves. The three dimensions plus time make four. Uh, and 
that we bring them together, we, we unify them. The other teaching I love is that if you look at, it's coming. <laughs> if you look at the lulav, the date palm, the rabbis liken it to the spine. And they liken the etrog to the, any guesses? Heart. Heart. And the long, skinny uh, willow leaf to the lips. lips. And the almond-shaped myrtle leaf. Eyes. So that, what are we bringing together? We're bringing how we walk in the world, right? How we present in the world. A heart that is, God willing, open and compassionate and receptive, um, mouths that speak Torah, right? And eyes are always looking for right ways to engage with the world in righteousness and in justice and in compassion. So a lovely teaching about that it actually represents the human being and, and all those things coming together. So this is our festival of Sukkot. We are going to look at what the rabbis give us to read. Ugh. I'm just like, they shouldn't just not let us be in society for a week after the high holidays. Can I just tell you? We're just not functional. Thank you so much. Um, we're just not functional. So um, the citron, this is not a good example uh, because the pitom is so small. Usually you'll see a little stem on the top. If the stem is broken off, the pitom is broken off, it is not a kosher etrog to use. Um, and Why? Because... <laughs> As with all kashrut, um, and so the one of the interpretations is that the pitom. If you look at one again, this is a bad example. But if you look at the little stem, that was the flower. The the citron is the only the etrog is the only fruit that keeps the flower it came from. You figure out what the significance of that is. Um, and the way to fulfill the mitzvah of the lulav, of taking the bouquet, is to hold it in the right hand with the left hand holding the etrog together with the pitom up. This is how one fulfills the commandment of taking the four species. Done. Now, in rabbinic Judaism, you want the least lag time between the bracha and the fulfillment of the commandment. So when we light Shabbos candles, once you say the bracha, Shabbos has started, you can't light a match. Right? right. So what do we do? We light. Oh, look, I can't see them. <laughs> I say the bracha, and the minute I finish saying the bracha, look, the candles are lit. Right? As little lag time as possible between the bracha and the fulfillment of the mitzvah. So we say the bracha, which is al-nitilat lulav. Remember al-nitilat yadayim? Right? When you wash the hands, we, we are saying the bracha over the fulfillment of the commandment to lift up our hands. So this is lifting up the lulav, nitila, to lift up. So we start this way, because if this is fulfilling the commandment, <laughs> can't do it yet. You have to have to say the bracha. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kidshanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu al nitilat lulav. Pitom turns up. I have now fulfilled the commandment. Right, that the bracha was on, and then the tradition is to wave in each direction, starting with east. So I should have been facing, which, which is east. That's east. So you would face this way. You would face this way. It's very Jewish. That way. No, but that's east. So then you would you would shake towards east first, then left, right, back, up, down. That is the. Fulfillment of the commandment for Lulav. All of you are invited to do that <clears throat> today. Oof, it's the best, the best, the best. Oh, see, who? <laughs> that is some serious money. That is a very valuable truth. Yes. One of my friends ordered an intro tree thinking they were getting it, and apparently there's two versions, and the 
when she got, because it was a, a little plant, no, it's a wound up thing that looks like Medea's hair. I mean, mm. there's another version of an entrope that's not shaped like that, even though it's a different botanical name, but they didn't know, so they got, they thought they had a whole entrope tree, they were gonna make a lot of, no, they were gonna celebrate <laughs> it. And they got this curly thing, which does not look, but apparently it's the same species. Be forewarned. Um, so the etrog uh, from Cyprus, actually. The etrog was originally from Cyprus. It's the best-smelling thing ever, and it makes a great liqueur. They, in Duluth, they would make this amazing liqueur from it, add limoncello, oh, wow. and they would make uh, succotinis <laughs> that we would have. <laughs> How much I bought Here they make Laura Diamond. Um, you, know, you mentioned the middle were not functional. We started after you on and it strikes me as, you know, a 2014 not uh, Orthodox Jew, to build a sukkah right after Yom Kippur is like a big deal. I didn't do it, never done it, I can't even get someone to show up here the week after. Was that the same feeling back then, or were they all, like, they were ready to go because they had to harvest, so everybody knew hard work, so it wasn't such a big deal? So, it's a really good question. I think if you live in an agrarian society, you know the harvest is coming. You, got it. you, you, you just know what's coming. And so, it was a day of preparation for that harvest, um, and it didn't involve everything that we do. First of all, it wasn't two days of Rosh Hashanah. You didn't schlep to shul. You didn't sit through sermons, right, and um, other kinds of stuff, right? It just, there wasn't anything at Rosh Hashanah. And Yom Kippur, it was really on the priest. It was the priest and the Levites that had to do everything. You brought your offering, and then it said, I have forgiven according to my word, says God. Like, you're, you're done. You're done. You press down your soul, whatever that meant, probably fasting, right? But then you brought your offering and you're done. So, so there wasn't a lot for the Israelite to do until the harvest. That's when the big exhaustion would have come, was getting that crop in. And then after that hard work, be part. You know, what's interesting, modernly, the high holidays are the big big deal for us. So it's hard to, re- to remember and then to imagine the, pil- the three pilgrims had nothing to do with that. It was right. just the coat and Passover That's right. and Shavuot. That's right. Those were the big ones. In, a, in an agrarian society, it was your harvest. That was the big deal. That's right. So the coat came in when they were concluding with the harvest? And that yeah. That was the kickoff. No. Was no, once you bring in your fruits, you want to share. Right. And party. And eat. And enjoy. All right. Well, let's see what the rabbis told us we're supposed to read. Thirty-three, twelve. Somebody begin. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, lead the people forward, but you have not made known to me whom you will send with me. Further, you have said, I have singled you out by name, and you have indeed gained my favor. Now I have only now, if I have truly gained your favor, pray let me know your ways, that I may know you and continue in your favor. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, I will go in the lead and will lighten the burden. And he said to him, unless you go in the lead, do not make us leave this place. For how shall it be known that your people have gained your favor unless you go with us, so that we may be distinguished, your people and I, from every people on the face of the earth? Go on. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have asked, for you have truly gained my favor and I have singled you out by name. He said, Oh, let me behold your presence. And he answered, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you the name Lord, and the grace that I grant and the compassion that I show. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man may not see me and live. And the Lord said, see, there is a place near me. Station yourself on the rock, and as my presence passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and shield you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, and my face must not be seen. All right. So this very interesting text, this very interesting scene, 
right, between God and Moshe, right? What, what is going on? Where, where are we in things? What's happened? Do you mean in the location? Oh, you mean in the story? Yeah, where are we in the story, in the narrative? What's just happened? Right, the plague. Yeah, <laughs> something something preceded the plague, right? So the big sin, the whopping whopper of all time, the Egel Hazahav, the golden calf. So the golden calf incident has happened. The plague that broke out as a result has happened, right? Finally, people have quit dying, and now God says, "Let the people set out." Tell them to, right? They've been camped. Well, they were camped at where? Why, where did this all happen? Exactly. They were camped at Sinai, and God says, move out, right? Why, why is Moshe not terribly excited about the idea of just kind of setting out? He didn't know where they're going. So presumably, if they're, they're in the middle of the desert and God says, just go, go where? So, now. Seems like risky business. Risky business. Presumably, they're on their way to the promised land. And he knows he's going to die. Yeah, he's not going to get to go. To your offspring will I give it, he's been told. So Moshe, maybe he's not excited about setting out towards a destiny that doesn't seem like it's going to be so terrific. Okay. It's not... And maybe he thought that we were no longer under God's protection. Because? Because we said in the golden calf. Okay. So we are between tablets. Right? We are not covered by an agreement right now. Right? So the tablets are the symbol of this agreement between God and the people that means Israel's protected. The contract, Moshe took the contract, and when he saw that the people had already blown it, what did he do? He tore up the contract. The people had already abrogated the agreement. We, at High Holidays, I discussed what part of my interpretation of what they did wrong was, right? Because we're not sure exactly what they did wrong. They called it Yudhei Vav. Hey, what's the problem? But that's another sermon. So he, so Moshe tears up the contract because the people have broken the deal. But he's not gotten the new ones yet. So it is understandable that Moshe's like, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, they screwed up. They got punished. And now you're saying move out? Wait, 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 wait. All right. So what do we know Moshe's concerned about? What does he say he's concerned about? Whether it's the whole agenda or not, what do we know Moshe's worried about? He wants to make sure God is with him. Moshe wants reassurance from God that God is in fact going with the people. Because if God's kavod, if God's presence does not accompany the people, they are toast. Literally. In the desert. Literally. They're toast. Right? Linda? But did the people know, I mean, when Moses was gone, <laughs> what, what the contract was going to be or what was coming for them? Aha. So, Naaseh and Nishma. They committed any sins from lack of knowledge. Ah, how can we get in trouble for worshiping Yudhevave in the image of a cow if we haven't gotten the Torah that says don't make any graven images? That's not fair. Right? So, <laughs> but um, so the it. This is why it's an interesting discussion about what their sin was, actually. Right? That because I find it fascinating that they get in such trouble. They call the calf Yudhevave. What is the problem? That's what they know. That's the image they know. Why is this such a problem? They don't have Torah yet. They don't know they're not supposed to do this, unless they do. Right, so obviously for the rabbis, they know they're not supposed. To, you know, they know on some level that they can't represent Yehovah by the God that they knew in Egypt, and they screw up. Um, 
was I going to say? Na'asev Anishma. The other place the rabbis go is when the mountain is quaking and thunder is happening and smoke and whatever scariness is happening at the revelation at Sinai. The people say, Na'asev Anishma. We will do it. Yes, we agree. We'll do it. And then we'll hear what it is. Right? So the rabbis say that God went, the Midrash is that God went to every other nation and offered them Torah. And they said, Nishma v'na'aseh. Let's hear it first. What exactly is this Torah business? And then they, they might agree to do it. But God came to the Israelites who said, because those are the words we have in Torah, na'aseh Nishma. We will do it and we will, we will hear. Meaning, you know, and the rabbis take that to mean they agreed to do it first before they even heard. Trust. They trusted. Faith. Faith. They had that. All right. Moshe says, you're telling me to lead this people forward, uh, but somehow I don't recall you telling me who you're sending with me to do that. Exactly. And by the way, you've said, quote, you, God, have said, and I quote, I have singled you out by name, and you have matzatachen be'enai. You have found favor in my sight. Well, if truly, because you wouldn't lie, would you, God? If indeed, if truly I have gained your favor, then hodi'eni not et drachecha. Show me, please, your ways that I might know how to continue to gain your favor. So it's your ways, plural, your actions as opposed to your direction. Well, we don't know, Linda, we don't know. Drachecha, show me your ways. Is it how you act in the world? Is it your paths, meaning the paths we're supposed to travel? We, it, is, it, it is not yet clear. It is not unpacked yet. God is going to let us know what it means in a minute or something about what it means in a minute, which is why I love this passage. But so, and by the way, don't forget this people is your people. What is Moshe saying? This is your people. He's reinforcing the covenant, the promise. Aha. So Moshe's saying... We have an agreement here. We tore up the agreement. Right, but we still... But because we don't have an agreement, do not forget. Right. This is still your people. And also, it could have been worse. They could have made a golden sheep like the Egyptians idolized. The cow was a god in Egypt. Pardon me? The cow was a god in Egypt. Oh, well, you oh yeah. Oh, yeah, the bull in the ancient world, 100%. All right, so um, so don't forget, these are your people. So God says, I will go in the lead. You're wondering who I'm going to send with you? I'm going. I will go in the lead, and I will lighten your burden. And Moshe responds, unless you go in the lead, do not make us leave this place. What kind of an answer is that to the Almighty? Could have said thank you. Could have said thank you. That's really a relief to know, God. Thank you. But Moses is Jewish. And that's reassuring. Chutzpah. Chutzpah. Sounds like a teenager. A teenager. Like my kids. Yeah? We'll see that you do. Here's something and they say, well, unless you give me that. (laughs) Didn't I just give it to you? Or it sounds like a child needing reassurance who's very frightened. Okay, so either it's chutzpah, Reuben is reading it as chutzpah, or it is a very frightened, you promise, promise mommy's here, mommy's not going anywhere, you promise, right, or mommy's not going anywhere, yeah, we'll see that you don't, (laughs) right, so um, we have two ways to read it, clearly though, we know how God reads it. Or chooses to take it. So, because Moshe goes on, 
For how shall it be known that your people have gained your favor unless you go with us so that we will be distinguished, your people and I, from every people on the face of the earth? If you don't come with us and somehow make it obvious that you're with us, remember that whole cloud by day, fire by night? If people don't see that you're with us, we're toast out here. We have to be distinguished from all other people or else, right, we are in serious trouble. We're in serious danger. So God says to Moshe, does, does God say, I've had enough. I just, I told you I'm going, right? Doesn't seem. It seems that God chooses to take it the way Laura read it, that Moshe's freaking out for the people. And so God says, I will also do this thing that you have asked, for you have truly gained my favor, and I have singled you out by name. So does Moshe say, like Bert suggests, thank you? That's great, God. Thank you. No, because Moshe is Jewish. So what does Moshe say? Excuse me, the you here is singular, yes? Who? The you. I've singled you out by name? Right. Yeah. He's talking to Moses. Yes. Not the Israelites. Correct. Unless you want to see it as the Israelite people as a unit. But usually it's, it's a not it's a, singular. a singular that's addressing the people. So everybody's reached, they've just had the first major fight of the relationship. Not Moshe, right? But Moshe's kids. God, I, I always have this image of God and Moshe as the parents of this people, right? And there's been a huge catastrophe in the house, right? And it's the first real place that Moshe and God are like, having to deal with kids who have really screwed up, like bad. And God's like, move out of the way. I'm done. And Moshe says, stop, 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 stop. These are your children too. These are your children. So Moshe here, right, is they're, they're still, they've, they've de- dealt with the consequences of the horrible horribleness that the children have done, but they're not back in relationship yet. So there's a mutual, I like how Sarah reads it, uh, a mutual reassurance going on. Kind of a, I love you, honey. Really? 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 <laughs> yes, really. Noah and God, when God told Noah he'd never, be, never make another flood. I mean, this wasn't the first time there was tumult like God said, I won't destroy the world with a flood, but God never said, I'm not going to wipe this people out if they tick me off enough. It just won't oh, be I by a flood. There was an implication. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, because God here said, move, get out of the way, I'm done. And Moshe intervenes, and God decides not to destroy the people. So Moshe is saying, okay, well then, and Moshe pushes even further. If you love me, honey, if you really love me, what is Moshe asking for? He wants to see the kaboom. Ah, Moshe wants to see God's face. Doesn't say face. It's a vote confidence. confidence. Presence. 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 Holiness. Holiness. Mm. From the Shoresh, right? Kaf, Vet, Dalid. Tell me what the Shoresh means. Heavy. Kaved is heavy. Weight. What are we told in terms of your mother and father? What are you supposed to do with them? Honor. Honor them, right? So there's, there is many senses of this word, but it all goes back to weight. Treat your parents as if they have weight in the world. You don't have to like them. You don't have to love them. Torah doesn't care. You have to treat them as if they have weight, as if they matter. Significance. Significance. This is the sense of kavod. Treat them that way, and then whatever that looks like, that's kavod. That's honoring, respecting, whatever English we always put to that, which is useless, if you ask me. So treat them as if they have significance, as if they matter. And so what Moshe is asking is, let me see your matter. matter. 
Let me see your weight, God. Your substance. Something. Manifestation. Your manifestation. Sometimes that gets translated glory, which correct, is so, which I hate. So sounds so Christian. It is so Christian. Um, it is just not a Jewish. It's just not right. I I agree. I I don't like it at all. So so how do I know there's gasoline coming out of the tailpipe of my car? Or how? The fumes, the exhaust. So I don't actually see the fumes. I see. I see the ripple. I see the way it it changes what I normally look at. Right? If I'm looking at Blanche, but now there's gasoline between us, you know, fumes, then Blanche becomes kind of like warpy. Fuzzy. Right? That's how I know they're there. I don't see them. I see their effect. That is as close as I think we can get to what this is. Footprints on the sand. Footprints in the sand. You don't see the foot. Right. Right? You, you, God's kavod is somehow God's warpage of the field so that you know it's there, but you don't actually see something. Yes? So, so, that, so Moshe says, if you really love me, and you said you have, you said you did. Then let me see your kavod. Okay? Why? Reassurance. Reassurance. Tell me about that. How is seeing God's kavod reassurance? I think maybe, like you were saying earlier, do you really, really love me? He, he really wants to know they really do have a special relationship. Maybe he has an insight into... Jewish people that we're going to mess up any more time. What? Anyone? So, let's, uh, you know, I want to make sure, at, you know, almost like a mother and a father. The father's like, that's it. I've had it. He, he kind of wants to solidify that we're, we're going to work as a team and take care of these people. So, so, put me in a position where I really understand you more. And we are in a very special relationship. So how is seeing God's kavod understanding God more? That's a, that's a deep question. But, uh, you know, I think it's more than just using our eyes. What is, as you said, what is he seeing in paper? So it's, you know, maybe more of a feeling or a wisdom. It's, it's it's to make sure he's really there. Because God talking to Moshe and opening waters and bringing plagues yeah. is not God being there? People are saying, have you seen this God? Oh, maybe Moshe needs to be able to say, I saw with my own eyeballs. Because so they can see the golden calf. Ha, 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 ha. The other, you know, the Canaanites and everybody there are going to be, you know, what are they going to see when we're walking they need reassurance. They Moshe knows that they're going to need for him to say, "I saw." Okay, lovely, Sarah. I think he wants this manifestation in response to his request of not not just that there be something, but because he asked. <laughs> Will you do something special for me that I've asked for just because I asked? Lovely. You know, since Moses didn't want the job to begin with, with all that's gone on, it sounds like just, you know, give me a reason to go forward with the job I didn't want to begin with. So maybe maybe Moshe's reached the end of Moshe's rope, and Moshe needs some special incentive to be willing to continue in this job that, let's be frank, sucks. This is the worst job ever, the job that Moshe has. Yeah, I also think that Moshe is the reluctant and he has to make sure that he's not going to get it from the other end, which is the people, right, that are going to keep saying, you know, giving him surus. What's the Jewish people giving their leaders surus? What? You know, they're they're fed up too, and, you know, they keep, 
they keep screwing up and they don't know why because they're just being who they are, human beings, you know. So it's this huge leap of faith that everybody is supposed to be making. And as a human being, there is, you know, we have our senses and we have our physical state but we, and we also have our, you know, spiritual and metaphysical state, but that's harder to... That's harder to tap into. You know, it's easier as a leader to say, look, we're going to build this house if we all come together and build this house. And look, we did it. But we're going to build a people with a God that no one can see and no one can feel and no one can touch. You know, it's it's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask of a people. Yeah. And as a leader. That have been slaves yeah. in Egypt. So maybe Moshe's like, saying, we need more from you. I need more from you to go to them. It's too much. And Moshe maybe doesn't trust that they're not going to do it again. All right. So, yes, Jackie. Maybe it's just like she wants God to be vulnerable a little bit. Because maybe if they're both vulnerable together, they are more in a partnership. If you love me, that's fine. But I've seen a couple of times now what happens when you get angry. Let's try something else. <laughs> Let's see if if something shifts if you become a little vulnerable. Maybe you could show up a little differently in this relationship yeah. than plagues and fire and snake bites, right? Maybe you could show up a little differently and here's how I'm thinking that might look. All right. One of the interesting things about this is it's not one-way communication, as some other traditions are, that our prophet, who is the only person, supposedly, who had direct contact with God, wasn't just there listening, wasn't just a passive listening, but it's an ongoing engagement. A conversation. Very Jewish. Very Jewish. God forbid we should just listen. All right, so, yes? I was just going to say, is there any way you can link all this to Make <laughs> a connection Just a coat We're going to try So What does God answer So we've had all these interpretations About what Moshe's really asking What does God Say Okay Or not today honey Or maybe next year Reuben Okay, we get this very interesting answer from God. The answer is, I will make all my tov pass before you. All my what? Goodness. Goodness. All my good. Good stuff. Good something. Doesn't have anything it modifies. All of my good, I will cause to pass before you. And I, God, will proclaim the name yud heh vav before you. And the grace, or the mercy, or the chain is grace. The grace that I graceify, and the compassion that I compassionate, whatever the heck that means. Vayomer, and God continues, Lo tuchal lirot et panai. You can't see, it says, you, you are not able to see my face. Ki lo yira'ani ha'adam v'chai. For a human cannot see me v'chai and live. Okay. What has God just said? God says, "What did God just say?" Question. Tov is passing. God just didn't say, "I will pass before you." Exactly. Is there an implication that there's something about God that's not told? So this is a very interesting question. God's going to cause all God's goodness to pass before Moshe. Is there something else? Yeah. 
that's not good? God forbid. God forbid, right? Something significant about Tov. When God creates the world, God says it is Tov. Tov. Maybe it's a way God shows up in the world, by definition, is Tov. But we've seen God be not so Tov. Right? God forbid we should say God wasn't Tov when God did what we was justified. Right? But God's not so Tov all the time, according to the Israelite experience. Right? So all of my goodness I will make pass before you, and I will proclaim the name Yudhe Who does that? Who proclaims the name Yudhe Vavhe? Who's the only person who can do that? God. <gasps> Mapitom. Mapitom. Who, who's the only person who can say Yudhe Vavhe? Who can proclaim that? We just celebrated Yom Kippur. Yeah. Uh, exactly. The high priest on Yom Kippur. Do your question. On Yom Kippur, the high priest proclaims the name yud Hey vav Hey. What that means, we don't know. We don't know because you can't pronounce this. What does it mean that the high priest pronounces the name yud <laughs> Like, what, what does that even mean? We don't know. God is acting as high priest. From Moshe's experience, is God making God's self the priest from Moshe's ritual experience? That's intense. God proclaim, is going to proclaim the name yod heh vav that's the ineffable name. Why is it called the ineffable name? Because you can't say it. And the grace that I grace and the compassion that I compassion, period. Okay. <laughs> what will you do with the grace that you grace and the compassion? It doesn't say. Very odd sentence fragment. And God goes on, Vayomer, verse 20, and God says, you can't see my face because a human being cannot see me and live. So can others see not a human being see me? Ah, Lisa Simon. Can a hummingbird see God's face v'chai and live? Go ask a hummingbird. You see, right? So... Very interesting question. It doesn't say you can't see me, does it? And it doesn't say I can't show you. And it doesn't say I don't have a face, does it? It says you can't see me. A human being cannot see me v'chai and live. So has one seen him and died? Ha, 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 ha. Oh, who was it who might have had that happen to them, Lisa? Yeah. Nadav and Avihu. All right. So one interpretation, very nice, very nice. Do you come to door study long enough? It all starts to come together. Very nice. Possibly, this is one of the places the rabbis get that answer, is Nadav and Avihu, they wanted to be close to God. That's why God says those who will be, I will be justified through those who are close to me. They wanted to be close to God. No problem. You got it. And what happens? Poof. Poof. Who saw Stargate SG-1? (laughs) This is so disappointing. For real? I saw the original movie. Right. Now, it becomes a series, right? What happens? What is the goal of the aliens that they live among on this other planet? What's the goal? God, I can't remember. Enlightenment. And what does that mean? That you are no longer material, your essence, and they have this lovely silhouette, right, of light goes up and you ascend. Possibly, that's what happened to Nadav and Avihu. They saw God, they got super close, and they, they are no longer in the material world. And what you see is the remnants of them, their material selves being burned up. Okay. 
So it doesn't say you can't see me. It says you can't see me v'chai. You can't see me and live. My favorite way of reading this in general, some years it's different, but in general, my favorite way to read this is a human being cannot confront the ultimate, capital U, and remain human. You can't be in this life, chai, and confront and hold and really see the face of reality, capital R. Because if you did, it would change you forever in ways that we can't imagine because you know, we, we can't hold that. We just can't. So I think I've told you this story before, but I'm going to say it again. I'll never forget when my daughter was in the tantruming phase. And I was at the absolute end of my rope. Absolute end of my rope. Exhausted, hungry. She decides at that moment to throw a, I'm talking, huge tantrum. She was like, you know, the kicking, biting, screaming, can't touch her, can't. And I, I, I had had it. And it was going on 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I had absolutely had it. And I, because she was kicking me, you know, and it was like, she, so I, she wanted out the door. I said no, because I don't want her hurting herself. I don't want her throwing other stuff or breaking stuff. So no, you can't come out of your room. You have to stay in your room. So I would sit like this with my knees drawn up in front of the door in her room while she, as she's kicking at me, whatever. So finally I said, you want, I'm, I'm done. I'm really done. I'm so done. And I left her room and closed the door, and she was trying to open the door to get out. And I'm holding the door closed and thinking, if that child <laughs> opens that door, right? I was hanging on to the door to protect her from me, right? Because had she opened that door and confronted the reality of her mother in that moment, it would have changed her in ways that are not okay. Right? She, that's my image here. God puts Moshe in the cleft of the rock, and it says God puts God's hand over Moshe, has all of this passed before Moshe, and then lifts God's hand Right, Because confronting the all of it would blow Moshe out of Chai. Right? It's just too much. Jesus is not written by God, it's written by humans. So can they understand all You know, I, I really think so. I think there's a part of us that knows we long to get it. We long for proof that God is really there. We really do. We want that so bad, don't we? We long for that intimacy, knowing for sure God is there. And there's a part of us that knows we can't know that on this side of what it means to be Adam, human. Right? I think that is not a new, obviously, idea. That we appreciate as human beings that there's stuff we can't confront we're just not able to and high and continue on right living. This, I just I just want to say this makes me think of um, the uh, preponderance of people that have lost their mind and are mentally ill. You know, they think they're God. A lot of them. It's a it's a it's a pattern. You know, where they've seen God, or they can talk to God, or they're talking like God. So, you know, and they have a break. They have a, a profound break in, in their human psyche. So maybe they have maybe they have right? <laughs> maybe there's something that you know, maybe that is their their punishment for getting that close. I don't know. I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> right? If God if Mo, if God is and Moses thought of God as being omnipotent omniscient. Why did Moses even have to go through the whole thing of telling God that he, what he needed? Why wouldn't God know? So, because God knows everything has nothing to do with what human beings need. 
Moshe still needs to request what Moshe needs. God's not going to do it for him. You know what your baby needs. Get up and walk. I'm not going to do it for you. I'm not going to carry you. You have to learn. I know what you need, but I'm not going to just give it to you all the time. You have to learn to say, please, cookie, more. Right? You, you have. It's not loving to not have someone live into what they need to do right, and become. I mean, that's how the rabbis deal with it. I don't know that God is omniscient in the Torah. I don't know that that's true. I don't think it is true. I think we have way a lot of evidence to the contrary. God seems to learn in Torah. And if God learns, it means God didn't know. All right. So let's finish it out. So station yours. There's a place here by me. Station yourself on the rock. And as my presence passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and shield you with my hand until I have passed by. I will protect you from me. Then I will take my hand away and you will see, I don't like this interpretation at all, this translation, I don't like it. You will see literally, achorai, my behind. There's in front and there's behind. You will see my afterwards. Not my back, God forbid, right? But achorai, Behind me, my wake. You will see my effect in the world because this is what we do. We don't see God. What do we see? When we recognize an experience of the divine, it is always after. Right? We, we look back and say, of course. Of course. We, or we see the effect of the divine having passed through our lives. Our, a moment, an experience. Achorai. Wouldn't it be better though if we could experience it at the time? It seems the Torah is talking about what is. This is what is. Not a truer thing, could we say, I don't think, about what it means to that God in love protects us from the full reality of God's self because we can't handle it. What can we handle? When we're ready, God removes God's hand and we can see the after effect. That's what we can handle. Vachai. And continue in life. Good studying. I'm going to close with, as you know, one of my favorite poets, the poet of blessed memory, Ruth Byrne. Sukkot. On our tables are the harvests of the earth, pears and grapes, corn and peppers. We thank you first for the food which sustains us in all seasons of the year. In winter, we stand at our windows looking out upon dreary trees. Long ago, the harvest was taken. Only dry stalks remain and frozen ground beneath the snow. We thank you for shelter, for the body that shelters the spirit, for the house and the city and the nation which shelter us, for the talents of those who design and build for the ability of those who make shelters of justice and structures of peace. In the spring after rain, our eyes are filled with loveliness, greening lawn, opening bud, darting bird. To thank you for fruitful earth and talented people is not enough. There is life and growth, perception, consciousness, logic and truth, And because of these, there is your gift of freedom. We thank you that we are not like bud or bird, but being human are free to choose, even between good and evil, life and death. 
In July, in the warm, sweet days of summer, we thank you for beauty. The oaks cast their deep shadows on the lawn, and we thank you for love, that we dwell in the shadow of your love, that we are able to love, even as you love us. Now at Sukkot, the apples hang ripe and heavy on the trees. The trembling leaves shine red and gold in the sunlight. You are the source of the radiance of the sun, the bridegroom, and of the fruitfulness of the earth, his bride. For shelter and freedom, for love and beauty, for all the harvest of earth and sun, of talent and spirit, for all your blessings, we give thanks to you. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.